Welcome to the On Course Podcast, presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, and I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Jim McCabe. Jim, how you doing? Esteemed, wow. Yeah. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All these people who said we need the rain, I hope they're happy. Yeah, it's, we're, we're in the middle of June, and we have Sean Scott joining us in a little bit, the head pro at, at Longmeadow. But before we have him on, I, I, this is the time of year where people don't necessarily think about golf trips as far as planning for one. They're either going on one because they've already booked it. But I find I always get the text from my buddies in the middle of the winter, like, where, 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 when can we go here? When are we going to go on this trip? So I thought, why not in the middle of, of summer, give people a little bit of warning. If you want to go on a trip, here are some ideas. I wanted to ask you about your bucket list. Is there a bucket list trip that you have not been on yet, Jim, that you have kind of, you're chomping at the bit to go on? Or have you done it all and you just want to share and brag? <laughs> I've not done it all. Are we say, are we talking local or are we? Oh, whatever you want. It's your bucket okay, list. Bucket list. Yeah. Uh, it could be far, it could be near. So you mean you've already talked to my wife and I can go? Yeah, you're cleared. So, you're perfect, completely cleared. Perfect, you got two perfect. weeks. I've heard good things about the RTJ. Yeah, RTG trail. trail down in Alabama. I've heard good things about it. Okay. And I will put my faith in one of my favorite, maybe my favorite amateur golfer in the area, Mr. Kevin Carey, who makes it a point of going to Shoals down in the shores of Alabama, not Shoal Creek, the, nope. but the coast of, of Alabama. He's in Alabama on the Gulf, Gulf Coast and swears by the, the golf and the whole thing. I'm, it's not my part of the country that I spend much time in. Yeah, I've never been. Uh, but I've heard, he, I trust in him. Yeah. And Kevin, I trust. Yep. And, yeah. And I've heard great things about the RTJ trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one because it is very much you need to plan and drive and kind of have some different spots or be okay staying in one location and doing a little bit of driving to a few of those courses. Cause I think they are spread out across a good swath of it, it, Alabama. It's a pretty good ride. And you, again, I, I mean, I prefer, this is me. I prefer places that are a little tough, to, not tough. They, they, they require a challenge to get there. Yeah. I mean, the reason I love Bandon Dunes, and I will tell, I don't, it's so good. The reason I love Bandon is it's a challenge to get there. Yeah. And if you're going to Bandon Dunes, you're there because you want to play golf. Yeah. It's, it's not going to Myrtle Beach. Yep. Guys and all the golfers want to go to Myrtle Beach for a lot of different reasons. I, I It's like too easy the, for you. Yeah. It's yeah. Too, it's too easy. There's too many, too much noise is busyness going yeah. on down there. Give me Bandon Dunes, it's golf. And the RTJ trail intrigues me. Yep. Branson actually intrigues me too. Branson? The I don't know that one. Well, Missouri, is it? Is it oh, is that the, the big the, cedar? The big Where Payne's Valley is? Payne, Payne's Valley. Yeah, 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 okay. I've heard great things about that. Yeah, it looks awesome. But give me the place that is all about the golf. If there's really nothing to do at night except for grab a burger at a pub, that's quite all that's right with speed. me. Yeah, okay. That's my, that's my speed. That's right. how I roll. No casinos. Oh, no. 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 No, 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 no casinos. No, no clubs. Nope. No. Okay. No, no. All right. Just so we got to make sure people know that if they're going to yeah. maybe invite don't, you don't invite me on a golf you, trip. You, I'm running a gam gambling trip. 
How many times have you been to Bandon? This is that because that's three. That's my bucket list is Bandon. Uh, three. Three. I, it took me years to get there and I used to always laugh at dear friend of mine, Mr. Alex Maselli, who would probably had gone there probably for 12, 13 times. Yeah. And I used to laugh. I said, it's too far to go, blah, blah, blah. Why are you going there and this and that? And then I went there and I, of course, I kidded him. I said, I can't believe you never told me about this place. Yeah. And we, my first trip there was 2015. We, we had a group of eight and we're all covering, we're all going down to Chambers Bay in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. And we took it, what we didn't realize is June in abandoned dunes is beautiful. You might not see a cloud. Yep. You will also get 30 mile an hour winds like from the minute you wake up. Yeah. It's a very windy time of year. It's absolutely spectacular fun. But yeah, I, I remember leaving there. I was leaving there the day we were leaving and Jeff Ogilvy was checking out and he was going on to play Chambers Bay. And I said, what'd you think? And he said, I'd, if it weren't for good, I have to go to the U.S. Open. I'd stay here another week. He absolutely loved it. We loved it. And I've been back, I think, actually three times since. So four times total. You've been four times total. Oh, man, that's great. We're going to, that's a, that'll be an opener for another day. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to ask you to rank your abandoned courses. You know, oh, do I, it now. We, we do it all the time. And, all right. And there were, when I first played, there were only the four. And that sheep ranches now. And now sheep ranches. Yep. Yeah, there were five. Yep. Any international trips that you have been on or would like to go on? I've been, I've been Ireland, Scotland. Okay. Ireland, Scotland, England. I played those all, but they were all built around the Open Championship. Okay. Been to Australia, but again, it was man, built. Oh man, it was built around a Walker Cup. I could walk a Cup, a President's Cup. Yep. Did not. I mean, my huge biggest regret. In, in my golfing, golf life, golf travel life is that we foolishly didn't, we didn't build much time into covering the President's Cup. And we got over there, we just didn't have time to Got play it. all the great ones. And yeah. I would say I've been, I've been enough. I think I played Ireland, England and Scotland enough that I had to go back. Not, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd go back, but. I would say my international trip I would really like to do is take a, by in my perfect world was Australia, maybe New Zealand. Yeah. Tasmania and play down there. Yep. Yep. Barnboogle, go play all those spots. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hot, take mean, a little, little jet. Are you, are you a small plane guy? Are you comfortable with that part of your challenge of getting to a place um, or would you rather drive three hours than hop on a, a two-seater? I mean, when you have no choice, yeah. I'll, I'll jump off. Yeah. I, I don't particularly love, people used to go, oh my God, you must love flying. No, I said, no, I didn't. I said, I love golf. I love <laughs> covering golf. I, the necessary evil was you have to fly. Yeah. Now I prefer, I don't travel to cover the tournaments. I don't miss it. There's enough golf to keep me happy here. But if I get in my car, I mean, Pinehurst is just such a, that's yeah. a that would be, I've been there. So it, when I, when you ask me bucket list, it's kind of like a, somewhere I've never been. Pine Hill, Pinehurst, I never turned down the chance to go. Yeah. There. It's the best. It's a great spot. And it's one of the few spots on the East coast other than maybe like Cabot in, in Canada that you can, you can, you know, yeah, that's to. Yeah. Cabot, we, we try to and call, stream we song. Call, we called up there in 2020 and. When we were allowed to, we started playing. It was yeah. COVID and I remember calling up Cabot and they talked about coming up to play. And the guy was pretty funny. He goes, 
in you're talking fall of 21, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, actually, I was like thinking well, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're trying to take lapsed. advantage. Yeah. yeah, he just left. <laughs> well, they, were, they were pretty shut down. But yeah. Yeah, that's another that, spot. That, that's a good trip. Yep. That uh, would be a good trip. Yeah. So RTJ Trail is a, that's a great call. That was not what I expected. So that's a, that's a great answer. And we would, this is the time. Go get a, get a trip plan now for yes. next summer or next fall. Don't wait until you're miserable sitting at home and it's getting dark at four o'clock and text your buddies. Text them now while you're hanging out and, and enjoying the long summer days. So let's bring in Sean Scott and chat with him about his kind of really interesting life as a amateur, as a pro, and then kind of returning to the, as a head pro. So we're going to bring him in and hear his story and, and, and listen to what he has to say. All right, well, want to welcome in Sean Scott to the On Course podcast. Sean, thanks for joining us today. It's a Friday afternoon. You've got an event in like 45 minutes to an hour and you're hopping on with us. So thanks for joining us. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks, Drew. I think you thinking of me. Yeah, the life of a club pro, right? Just yes. doing, whatever you, doing whatever you can do. So I want to start kind of at a, at a recent point in your, uh, in your golfing life. You were at the U.S. final qualifying a couple of weeks ago. Would love to just hear about your experience playing those 36 holes. I think you were Canoebrook down at Jersey. Took, took the drive down, played, played 36. Was that your first time playing in the final qualifying or had you made it before? It was. No, but it was my first, uh, first, first time. time through to the sectional. Yeah. yeah. So give, just give a, what was that day like for you? I know it was a tough day. It's a tough day for a lot of people. Just, just playing among that, that group and, and being 36 holes away from playing in the U.S. Open. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the day was awesome. Obviously I would have liked to have played better. I kind of, I went down there and I played a couple practice rounds. I started hitting it both ways in the practice rounds, which I almost never do. I almost never hit the driver left. I had the day off on Sunday, started trying to tinker it and fix it. And it got a little bit worse. And so long story short, I had next to no confidence going to the course, just being brutally honest. I was trying to convince myself that I could, could find some confidence and get, get it going, but I knew I was going to play two, two tough courses and I usually drive the ball pretty well and I was struggling with it. So that coupled with the fact that I knew I had not only everybody at my club paying attention to what's going on, but a lot of friends and family, all very positive things, but it's self-pressure that you put on yourself. You try not to, but it's near impossible not to, but I did try my best to, I promised myself that I would work hard all day. I would try hard all day, no matter what happened for all 36 holes and that I would try to enjoy the experience. The first nine holes, I, I, I wasn't really enjoying it, to be honest, but you know, we got through the lunch break and got back onto the North course, which is on the main side, but Canoebrook has a four lane highway that runs through the middle of the property. One course is on the other side. And then the North course is back on the main side. Um, so for the afternoon rounds, we we're cheated off right there in front of the clubhouse. There was a little bit of a crowd that tournament atmosphere. And uh, that actually helped me kind of click on a little bit of focus. And I played a decent stretch of holes there. I had Thorbjartsen in the group in front of me. He had a nice crowd. And so, I mean, really it was, despite the poor play, I mean, it was still a great day. John, I'm just curious. I'm friendly with some people who have been to the final a couple of times, several times. Mm -hmm. Ben Spitz, one of our better amateurs in the state, went again this year. I think it was his maybe third time. He told me he really doesn't go dreaming of the USO. He says, I just go thinking, man, this is, this is the 
a tournament I'm playing against. There are a lot of PGA Tour pros there. There's a lot of really good pros who are maybe not known to people, but they get good status. Sure enough, he goes a couple of years ago, plays with a kid named Cameron Young. And he said, I knew who he was. America maybe didn't know who he was. And he said, that's what I love about going there is it feels like a PGA Tour event. It does for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to play a practice round with Barry Hansen, who ended up getting through longtime journeyman pro. So that was even just playing 18 holes with him and talking. I was picking his brain. He was even picking mine a bit about some of the different tight lies in the grass around here. Cause he said he hasn't played a ton of golf, at least not recently in the Northeast. And, but yeah, like you said, just the, just getting through that local qualifier is, is a nice achievement to be able to go and, and play in that event in the, in the sectional. And at the end of the day, no matter who you are with only four spots in a loaded field, it's very hard to get through. For a guy like myself, it's, it's basically a lottery ticket. If I, if I can now go out there and have maybe a, a great day, one of my best days. And I was very well aware of that, that I needed to have one of my best days ever. But the fact of the matter is I was there. And if I had that one day, I, I could be in LA playing in the U S open, which again, it wasn't, I wasn't looking at it that, oh, I got to play great so I can get into the U S open. I was looking at it as a really, really good opportunity that was in front of me to, to, to maybe be able to sneak through. But, but like you said, it was just, just being there. The whole atmosphere, the way they treat you, even leading up to the event with lining up caddies for the practice rounds. And when you get there, they greet you and they just, they just, Canoe Brook did a great job. The USGA always does a, a great job. And it's just a, another level. Any USGA event is, is just another level. And then when you get, like you said, some of the guys that are sprinkled into some of these fields, it's pretty awesome. Oh, you got to look at, I mean, if you're going to go into this, this week's US Open, all, a lot of stories come out of the US Open final and just, I get his name. Oh gosh. Thurston. Terslow. Terslow. Yep. A one handed chipper. Yeah. And he chips one handed. He <laughs> chips beautifully. I mean, yep. never, when I look to see that and say, man, man, that's the secret. There are so many really good stories that come out of there. And will you find yourself looking down the agate list and scoreless and where's my, where's my buddy, Mr. Hansen? Where is he? Absolutely. Yeah. I did it last night. Yeah. Absolutely. I followed him even through social media. I've been following him on his journey. And same thing. The other guys who got through at the site scroll down and check out how they did. And it's, that's part of the whole thing. You, know, you see, you, you were at that site with those guys and they got through and you, you check in and see how they, see how they're doing. So you're, you're the, the head pro at Longmeadow and you, you had a very interesting journey to this point as a, as a, as a head pro, you were an amateur up until age 34. Is that right? What I, what I read in the little sun and kind of decided to, to change careers. You were a, a decorated amateur, won the Lowell cities and, and now you're, you're a head pro. Can you kind of talk about just that, that choice at that point in your life? It's, it's kind of a rare, it's a rare time to decide to kind of be a, a head pro, a club pro. Usually people are going the other way where they give it a run and then they decide, I think I want to try something else. So what, what for you kind of made that decision one that was the right one. Yeah. So, I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, I guess I started, I actually noticed one of your previous guests was Dave Adamotis. Yeah. So I played college golf for Dave's dad, Dave senior at Johnson and Wales university. When I was graduating, 
Dave, unfortunately, coach was, was sick and he couldn't travel with the team anymore. And he hired me as the golf tournament coach and I was helping him out run, run the golf management program as well. So I did turn pro for a little bit during that time, was playing a little bit of some state opens, some, some small stuff down there, but I really enjoyed the job and the coaching and was looking at maybe staying in coaching, maybe getting into a club pro job. But then when my daughter, who's now 14, when we had her coming, we decided to move back up here. We were living in North Miami. My wife and I are both from here and uh, we were alone. It was just us down there and we decided to move back up to be, be with family. And uh, at the time I was in my early twenties and a seasonal assistant job, just, it wasn't going to cut it. So I left the golf business altogether and I started a landscaping business. I figured that would allow me to make my own hours and uh, still play golf. I was reinstated as an amateur and I did that for, for 10 years and I was getting a little bit beat up physically. It was becoming a little bit hard to, to play golf and, and do that line of work. And, and I was also becoming a little bit more financially stable where I, I could maybe take a little bit of a pay cut for a few years and get an assistance job or maybe do something different in the winter. So I, I took the PAT and was getting ready to get started in the, the PGA program and start looking for an assistant job and the head pro at my club, Long Meadow, announced that he was retiring and it was, it was an aggressive play, but I, I applied for the job and I pursued it aggressively. I, I tried to explain that, yes, I know I haven't been in the PGA program or our assistant for the last 10 years, but I have been in and around the game of golf, playing, playing the game and evolved around the club and, and running a business, not, not related to golf, but still running a business and fortunate for me, they, they voted for me to get the job and here I am five years later and everything's, everything's great. That's pretty cool. So does a superintendent lean on you based on your years of a landscaper? I mean, he, 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 he our superintendent is fantastic. I, I will say that for why he doesn't need, need to lean on me at, at all. I was on the greens committee when I was a member and, 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 and landscaping. So I have a good relationship with him, a very good relationship with him, but our superintendent is fantastic. He doesn't really need anything from me. What was, what was it like going from being a member to the, to being a, a head, the head pro of the place? That's a, it's a jump that not a lot of people, not a lot of people make. It is. Yeah, it was a jump, but, but to be honest with you, the one thing is that I know the place. And that, that was one of the things that I kind of pushed in the interview process is I, I know the things that, that are unique to Long Meadow, some of our, some of our leagues or some of our certain tournaments that we have and some of the traditions, this Lowell city tournament we have, we're celebrating the hundred year anniversary of the, of the city tournament. So today's a good example. I put together this event for all the past champions to come here and, and play today and put on a little exhibition for people to come out and watch and we'll have a party afterwards. And so. Although I was a new pro, the last pro was here for 22 years and the pro before that was here for 33 years. So although I was a, a new guy, I, I wasn't a new guy. I, I knew how things worked. I knew, I know the different people, the different groups of people. Obviously I didn't know everybody. I was a working guy. So I played here on Sunday mornings and Tuesday and Thursday night. So there were some, some people for me to get to know and stuff, but, and also the other, the other thing is my assistant, Joe Miller was Gene Manley's assistant before me. So. He really helped with that transition immensely. And by all accounts, minus a few pickups that you're never going to avoid. Everything's been, been pretty smooth. It did. There is a, all, sometimes there's a thing with kids, younger kids. Oh, I don't want to be a club pro. They, they, it's not the greatest of times in their eyes, but mm -hmm. some people think it's, it's a beautiful time to get into it. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly not for everybody. It's definitely. 
definitely a customer service job. And if you don't like people and talking with people, then it, it's not for you. Because at the end of the day, you're here to, but that's what I, what I love about my job is my job is just for, to help the people that come here to play golf, have a good time, make sure that everything's taken care of for them. I love running events, the tournaments. That's another nice thing. I play in a lot, a lot of tournaments. So I see some of the small details that mask all for USGA, little small things that I can try to bring to our events to have the members say, wow, that's, that's nice. Make them feel like they're playing in an event, even if it's our four ball or mixed four ball or whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean, and, and the other piece is I'm a firm believer that it's a positive for the golf pro to play golf and practice golf and play with their members and keep their game sharp. And I take the members to pro-ams, I take them to the pro-am trips, whatever it is. I try to play in, in as many events as I can. And uh, as long as I, I found, as long as I can stay on top of my work here and ahead of my work here, it's a very positive thing. If I'm, if I'm behind and I get busy and then I'm leave, running out the door with trying to dot scorecards as I'm going out the door to play a different event, that's where things get, get hairy on both ends. So like anything else in life, if you can, if you can be on the ball and be on top of it, you can play golf, you can teach golf, you can be around golf all, all day, every day. For a guy yeah. who loves golf, it's hard to complain about that for me. Phew. Well, cities, you said it's the hundredth. Is it the hundredth year or is this the hundredth playing? It, it's the hundredth anniversary. We missed, I believe, three years for uh, World War II. Uh, oh. So, but it is the hundredth uh, anniversary. The, the event started in 1923. As, as you become involved with it now in this capacity, is there anything history-wise or kind of uh, stories that have percolated that are worth sharing as, a, as an event that, it, like, it's, a, it's an old event that draws a lot of good competition, but I think it goes under the radar a little bit. So I'd love you to kind of shine a spotlight on some stuff. It does, for sure. It goes under the radar. So we, we are very fortunate in that the man who I replaced here is the head pro, Gene Manley. He was similar to me. He, he played here. He was a member here and he took over for Henry Trepsis. So it was very similar. Um, but Gene is unbelievable with golf information. And he's by far that he's, we call him the unofficial cities historian, but he's, he's the official cities historian. He knows everything. And he keeps, he has a real detailed scrapbook. It's really, really incredible. But as far as the event itself, we've had a couple of, Multi, multi-time winners, Doug Parisian, he's won it 10 times. He had a, a real strong run in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then Phil Smith, he won seven in a row. He's an eight time champion. He won it when he, I believe when he was 21 as an amateur, then he had a fairly lengthy pro career. Then he was reinstated and he won seven more in a row. And Phil allowed his daughters, Molly and Morgan, they're world beaters right now. So they're, they're keeping the tradition alive and they're both playing in the event and I expect them both to, to contend and have a chance to contend because they're, they are legit. Yeah. They're on a roll right now. They're playing some, mm -hmm. some awesome golf. Who, who, who broke Phil Smith's streak of wins just out of curiosity? It's very nice of you to ask that question because that would be me. 2013. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, sir. I saw that long list and then Sean Scott's name right yes. underneath. So thank you. Thank you for teeing that one up. That was very nice. The other, the other thing I think just as far as you're, you're part of the state, Tewksbury, I don't know, is that like, I don't even know what kind of name, is that the Merrimack Valley, is it? Yep, the, there's also, also kind of flies under the radar. Can you just talk a little bit about Longmeadow as a club and some of the golf that's just in, in your area that, uh, that, that deserves a little bit of, of praise and, uh, and attention? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, so Longmeadow, the great thing about Longmeadow here is, so we're Longmeadow Golf Club and that's truly what we are. We're a golf club. We're a private member owned nine hole golf club, no pool, no tennis, just a, a nice nine hole course and a real nice bar. And uh, the people love to play golf. And like I said, that, that's my job just to, just to help them enjoy, enjoy their golf. We try to, I try to lean into that, the, the golf culture here. One thing we've been doing is uh, Rob Oppenheim is a former member here. So we've been working kind of around his schedule when he's in town, we throw together a, I call it the pro shootout. And I invite some various pros from, from the area. We play two man teams, four ball, and we have three or four groups out there worth of teams. And we invite people to come out and watch. And there may or may not be some outside gambling on the event and people like, like to come out and it's like a scene out of Caddyshack sometimes. <laughs> it's just a random Friday afternoon and there's groups of 50, 60 spectators out walk, walking on the course, but it's cool because they got a, a tour pro and some other local pros, Rich Barbarian comes and plays. We had Sean Warren here last year. So I really just try to get the best players that I can from around to come and, and play on our course and let, let our members come out and enjoy the show. And that's just here. And like you said, in the Merrimack Valley, there's some, some real strong golf. We got Nick Macario is probably the strongest player in, in the area. I don't personally know Nick yet, but I probably get to try to get him to come up and play in one of our events. And it's, it's really, it gets tough playing in, in events, seeing mass golf events from this area. It seems like you're always traveling through Boston, <laughs> but in the morning, morning, morning tea time, afternoon tea time, it's, it's can be a battle, but up, up here in this, this little corner, there's, there is some good golf, some great golf courses. And locally right here in Lowell and Tuxpah, we have a, a, a great golf community. Last thing before we, we let you go, cause you are playing this afternoon in the, in the hundredth event, just for people who are always trying to balance like practicing and playing and work and all of those things, you're clearly very good at doing, at doing that as a guy who reached us open final qualifying and, and competing. What, what are your secrets for just staying sharp? and keeping the game kind of ready to, to run out the door and, and play some golf. So, so that's actually something I've been working on hard this year is that I used to have a bad habit and it's odd because the scores haven't really added up for me this year. I, I did get through the local, but aside from that, I've been sputtering a little bit, but what I'm, what I'm trying to do is just chip away at it. Just always kind of be ready. If I have a chance to practice just small, small gains rather than where in the past, I would look, if I didn't have an event for two or three weeks, I might not touch the clubs. And then I'd put, try to put a bandaid on it. And honestly, sometimes it would work because I wouldn't really have any thoughts going on. I'd just try to hit some balls and get something together. And I would just go play golf. So I am battling that a little bit right now with trying to be more ready, which I feel like I am, but also trying to manage the expectations too. It's like one of the things, success, confidence, expectations. It's like chicken and the egg. What comes first, success or the confidence, and then you have some success and you have confidence, but then you got to manage those expectations. So that's what I'm really working on hard right now is just small gains, doing, doing the right things. If I have a chance to go hit some balls and I have an event coming up, go hit those balls. But at the same time, it's, it's not the end of the world. If I don't, if it's go hit the balls or go watch my son's baseball game. I get to that baseball game right away. I have, I have two kids. My, my son is, my son's 10, my daughter's 14. So I am juggling a lot, but if I can, if I can try to stay sharp, cause the other piece is if a group asks me to jump on the tee and play with them, I want to be ready to go play with them and have them enjoy the day and not feel like, oh, geez, I haven't touched a club in three weeks and, and worry about it. I want to, I want to feel like my game sharp to go down there and, and play with them as the pro and let them see me hit some good shots and try to help them out with their game as well. Nice. Awesome. 
Good luck today. Play well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Enjoy. It's a beautiful day out. Enjoy your Friday. And, and thanks for, for joining us and make sure to follow Sean on Instagram. He's a great follow kind of keeps, keeps me up to date on what's going on up in the Merrimack Valley and events that he's running and playing. And so go follow Sean and uh, Sean, have a great rest of your summer. Good luck. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy your day. Thanks, Sean. Take care. All right. That was great hearing from Sean and listening to his experience as a club pro grinding and, and playing in the in US Open final qualifying a couple of weeks ago. So appreciate him joining. And as always, we're going to wrap up our pod with Little Golf Course Confidential. We like to highlight some spots that we think are worth checking out. We are both Massachusetts guys, so we tend to lean strong on the Massachusetts golf courses. But I, I wanted to go north this week and talk about a golf course Good. that I've played once, uh, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, in the fall of 22. And it is a very cool place. It's called Hooper Golf Course. It is in Walpole, New Hampshire. It's a nine-holer. And you look like you want to interrupt me. No, I'm, uh, I'm dying to find out. Yeah. Because I, well, it's point of confession. I've never seen, never been there, but I've read about it and it's a cool little place that I want to check out. It is awesome. So I went up there. I actually had met Josh Beers, who is a teacher, who is one of kind of the group of owners of, of Hooper. It is kind of world renowned as far as nine hole golf courses go. It's on a bunch of lists of the best nine hole courses in the world, the best nine hole courses in the country. And it was kind of put on the map by Tom Doak, who has his golf course confidential books. And he is a, a notoriously tough grader when yeah. it comes to what he likes about golf courses and how he rates golf courses. His books are outstanding. And I would encourage people, if you're kind of a, a golf diehard to Buy one of his books in the area that you live in and, and you'll be you'll be you'll be very impressed with the places he's played and the things that he writes about them and he's pretty honest. And he wrote this about Hooper. I racked my brain trying to think if I'd ever seen a better pair of opening holes, and in the moment anyway, I could think of none. Wow. So I, this is a guy who's played all over the world, thousands of golf courses. And uh, these two holes at Hooper at, at the opening kind of stand out to him as as two of the best. It is a really neat place. It is kind of set up in Walpole. New Hampshire is kind of maybe an hour from Monadnock and a little bit northwest of it. So it's on the kind of on the a little bit on the border of Vermont, but in that like southern southwestern part of New Hampshire. It's not an easy place to get to, which is kind of right up your alley, Jim. You said well, it earlier. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. The, you told me for a loop of Monadnock because now I'm trying to, okay, where's Monadnock? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Monadnock's like kind of set, um, south. I, I, I judge, I map out New Hampshire by ski resorts. So oh, okay. I know Sunapee. Okay, yeah. It was a week we staying north of Sunapee. I think so. Yeah. Okay. This, now you're not talking my language at all because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't ski. This is, it can GPS get you? Yes, it can get you there. Perfect. And it's about a, t it's a, it's like a two hour drive from Boston, maybe a little bit longer. I did it. That's went up and that. played 27 holes in a golfer's journal event. We played nine holes, best ball, nine holes, alternate shot, and then cool. put, put some money in an envelope and played skins. And uh, just, it was a great fall day up in New Hampshire. And I think the thing that is really great about it is it was a golf course that a little while ago, maybe a decade, 15 years ago, it was kind of on the cusp of not being a golf course anymore. It was run down. 
It was tired and the town wanted to kind of take it and turn it into just something else. It was not allowed to be built on, but they were thinking about just not having it be a golf course anymore. And the land was sold. And then it was sold to an outside guy whose name I can't recall right now. And then 32 members of the community pooled money and purchased the golf course. No kidding. It is great, Troy. Yeah. So it's kind of a community golf course, very much run by the people in the town. I mentioned Josh Beers, who is a teacher up there. He teaches high school at Walpole High. I think he's a history teacher. And he is kind of the, the main, the face of the golf course in some ways. He's the one who's kind of helps run it. And 32 people can't all run a golf course. So the few people stepped up and he was one of them. But they run on a shoestring budget. They've got like one mower. They have an awesome, they have a, it's called the Watkins Tavern. So it's a little restaurant. People can come in and have, have dinner and have meals, even if they're not playing. They really want it to be a place where just people from Walpole can come and, and hang out. And Jim, if you want to play it a couple of times, you can actually stay in there in the Watkins Inn, which is in the building. So you can no sleep kid. about 50 yards from the first tee and go play an evening round, sleep, have your burger. No casinos up there, no craziness. Good. It's just Good. quiet. Better. And then you wake up and you can roll out of bed and go play nine yeah. more holes before heading home. It's a, it's, a, it's a really neat place. And I would recommend anybody go see the golf course. Uh, cool. I, I can't say any more than Tom Doak did. The two, first two holes are great. Yeah, the layout is awesome. Good. You can play it a bunch of times. It got some different tee boxes when you spin around. The first hole is a par four and also a par five. So you get a little bit of different looks on a couple of different holes. You've, you've, you've said nothing that doesn't make me want to go. Yeah. I mean, it's that, that to me, it captures golf. Yeah. And really place. Good follow on Instagram too. You can kind of get a sense of when they have events and when they have stuff going on. But I would tell anyone who's looking for just a little bit of a day trip or a weekend trip, go play Hooper. There's a couple other golf courses on the way up. You could play Shattuck, which is a total butt kicker, kind of in the, in the shadow of Mount Monadnock and Jaffrey, New Hampshire that one. is another place. And you could kind of play a couple courses on your way back. So Hooper golf course, go check it out. Great nine holer and great people and a great story. And that's, that's it for, for today's episode. So thanks for listening to the on course podcast presented by new England golf journal rate view and subscribe as always. That helps us reach new people. Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing this podcast. As always, the on course podcast is a Siemens media production. Oh,